25, 8 constants, Lake Titicaca, lying 12.661 feet 38.54 meters above sea level but affording a navigable course 136 miles 220 kilometers long, is an important waterway for Peru and Bolivia, in the central Sudan, where aridity reduces the volume of all streams. Even the variable and indeterminate Lake Chad has been an eagerly sought objective for expanding boundaries. Twenty years ago it was divided among the native states of Bornu, Magirmi and Canaan, today it is shared by British Nigeria, French Sudan, and German Cameroon. The erratic northern extension of the German boundary betrays the effort to reach this goal. The uniting power of lakes manifests itself in the tendency of such basins to become the nuclei of states, attractive to settlement in primitive times. Because of the protected frontier they afford a motive finding its most emphatic expression in the pile villages of the early lake dwellers later because of the fertility of their bordering soil and the opportunity for friendly intercourse. They gradually unite their shores in a mesh of reciprocal relations, which finds its ultimate expression in political union. It is a significant fact that the Swiss Confederation originated in the four forest cantons of Lucerne, Schwiz, Uri and Interwalden which are linked together by the jagged basin of Lake Lucerne or the Lake of the Four Forest Cantons, as the Swiss significantly call it, but are otherwise divided by mountain barriers. So we find that Lake Titicaca was the cradle of the Inca Empire, just as Lake Tuscoca was that of the Toltecs in Mexico and an island in Lake Calco later that of the Aztec Domain. The most stable of the short-lived native states of Africa had apparently found an element of strength and permanence in a protected lake frontier. Such are the petty kingdoms of Bornu, Magirmi and Canaan on Lake Chad, and Uganda on Victoria Nyanza, large lakes, which include in their area islands, peninsulas, tides, currents, fjords, inlets, deltas, and dunes, and present every geographical feature of an enclosed sea. Approach the latter to in historical importance. Some of the largest, however, have long borne the name of seas. The Caspian, which exceeds the Baltic in area and the Errol, which outranks Lake Michigan, show the closest physical resemblance to thalassic basins, because of their size, salinity and enclosed drainage systems, but their anthropogeographical significance is slight. The very salinity which groups them with the sea points to an arid climate that forever deprives them of the densely populated coasts characteristic of most enclosed seas, and hence reduces their historical importance. Their tributary streams, Robbed of their water by irrigation canals, like the Shorn and Parcel Doxus, renounce their function of highways into the interior. To this rule the Volga is a unique exception. Finally, cut off from union with the ocean, these salt lakes lose the supreme historical advantage which is maintained by freshwater lakes, like Ladaga, Nyasa, Maracaibo and the Great Lakes of North America, all lying near sea level. Lakes as part of a system of inland waterways may possess commercial importance surpassing that of many seas. This depends upon the productivity, accessibility and extent of their hinterland, and this in turn depends upon the size and shape of the inland basin. The chain of the five great lakes, which together present a coastline of 4,000 miles and a navigable course as long as the Baltic between the Skagerrak and the head of the Gulf of Bothnia, constitutes a freshwater Mediterranean. It has played the part of an enclosed sea in American history and has enabled the Atlantic trade to penetrate 1400 miles inland to Chicago and Duluth. Its shores had therefore been a coveted object of territorial expansion. The early Dutch trading posts headed up the Hudson and Mohawk toward Lake Ontario, as did the English settlements which succeeded them. The French, 
from their vantage point at Montreal, throughout a frail casting net of first stations and missions, which caught and held all the lakes for a time. Later the American shores were divided among eight of our states. The northern boundaries of Indiana and Illinois were fixed by Congress for the express purpose of giving these commonwealths access to a Lake Michigan. Pennsylvania with great difficulty succeeded in protruding her northwestern frontier to cover a meager strip of Erie Coast, while New York's frontage on the same lake became during the period of canal and early railroad construction, a great factor in her development. In 1901, the tonnage of our merchant vessels on the Great Lakes was half that of our Pacific, Atlantic and Gulf coasts combined, constituting a fresh water fleet greater than the merchant marine of either France or seabred Norway. A remote but by no means faint echo of this fact is found in the 500 or more boats, equally available for trade or war, which Henry and Stanley saw the Uganda Prince muster on the shore of Victoria Nyanza Lake, Ocean, Sea, Bay, Estuary, River, Swamp, Lake, here is nature's great circle returning upon itself, a circle faintly notched into orcs, but one in itself and one in man's uses. Chapter XII Continents and their peninsulas The division of the Earth's surface into 28%, land and 72%, water is an all-important fact of physical geography and anthropogeography, owing to this proportion, the land masses, which alone provide habitats for man, rise as islands out of the threefold larger surface of the uninhabitable ocean, consequently, the human species, like the other forms of terrestrial life, bears a deeply ingrained insular character. Moreover, the water causes different degrees of separation between the land masses, according as it appears as inlet, strait, sea, an island-strewn or islandless ocean, it determines the grouping of the habitable areas and consequently the geographic basis of the various degrees of ethnic and cultural kinship between the divisions of land. Finally, since the sea is for man only a highway to some ulterior shore, this geography of the land masses in relation to the encompassing waters points the roots and goals of human wanderings. Each fragment of habitable land, large or small, continent or islet, means a corresponding group or detachment of the vast human family. Its size fixes the area at the service of the group which occupies it. Its location, however, may either endow it with a neighborliness like that subsisting between Africa and Europe and involving an interwoven history or remoteness like that of South America from Australia, so complete that even the closed net of intercourse thrown by modern commerce over the whole world has scarcely sufficed to bring them into touch. Therefore the highly irregular distribution of the land areas, here compactly grouped, there remote, deserves especial attention, since it produces far-reaching results. Finally, continents and islands, by their zonal situation, their land forms, rainfall, river systems, flora and fauna, produce for man varied life conditions, which in their turn are partially dependent upon the size and grouping of the land masses. A comparison of the large and small land masses of the from the standpoint of both physical and anthropological geography yields a classification based upon size and location on the one hand, and historical influences on the other. The following table indicates the relation between the two. I independent land masses, A continents, independent by reason of size which enables them to support a large number of people and afford the conditions for civilization. The insular continents, whose primitive and modern development are marked by remoteness. Australia, the neighboring continents, separated by narrow seas and showing community of historical events. Europe and Africa, Asia and North America around Bering Sea. The islands, 
independent by reason of location, oceanic islands, characterized by greatest remoteness from continents and other islands, and also by independent or detached history, St. Helena and Iceland, be member of a group of oceanic islands, therefore less independent, Hawaii, Fayal in the Azores, Tongatabu, Sea Large Islands, approaching by reason of size the independence of continents and thereby finding compensation for a less independent location, New Guinea, Borneo, Madagascar, in a cultural sense, Great Britain and Japan, II, dependent land masses, the inshore or coast islands, whose history is intimately connected with that of the nearby mainland, Ubia, Long Island, Vancouver, Sakhalin, Ceylon, B neighboring islands, showing less intimate historical relations, Formosa, the Canaries, Ireland in contrast to Great Britain, sea islands of enclosed or marginal seas, contained in a circle of lands and exposed to constant intercourse from all sides, Jamaica, Java, Crete, Sicily, Zealand, Gotland, St. Lawrence and Bering Sea, the island groups not to be considered apart from other groups, Samoa, Fiji and Friendly Isles, Philippine, Sulu and Sunda Islands, Greater and Lesser Antilles, as the homes of man, these land masses vary greatly owing to difference of size, only the six continents have been large enough to generate great bodies of people, to produce differentiated branches of the human family and to maintain them in such numerical force that alien intermixtures were powerless essentially to modify the gradually developing ethnic type. The larger continents are marked by such diversity of climate, relief and contour, that they have afforded the varied environments and the area for the development of several great types or subtypes of mankind. Australia has been just large enough to produce one distinct native race, the result of a very ancient blend of Papuan and Malayan stocks but prevailing aridity has cast a mantle of monotony over most of the continent, nullifying many local geographic differences in highland and lowland, curtailing the available area of its already restricted surface, and hence checking the differentiation that results either from the competition of large numbers or from a varied environment. We find Australia characterized above all other continents by monotony of culture, mode of life, customs, languages, and a uniform race type from the Murray River to York Peninsula. The twin continents of the Americas developed a race singularly uniform in its physical traits, if we leave out of account the markedly divergent Eskimos, but displaying a wide range of political, social and economic developments, from the small, and organized groups of wandering savages, like the desert Shoshones and coast Fuegians, to the large, stable empire of the Incas, with intensive agriculture, public works, a state religion and an enlightened government, even the largest islands of the world, such as Borneo, New Guinea and Madagascar, show no such independent ethnic development, this is the distinguishing characteristic of the largest land masses, Europe, except on the basis of its size and peninsula form, has no title to the name of continent, certainly not on anthropogeographical grounds, its classification as a continent arose in the Mediterranean among the Greeks, as a geographical expression of the antagonism between themselves and their Carian, Phoenician and Persian enemies across the Aegean, the idea had therefore a political origin, and was formed without knowledge of that vast stretch of plains between the Black Sea and the Arctic Ocean, where Asia's climate and races lap over into Europe, and where today we find the Muscovite Empire, in point of geographic conditions, its underlying ethnic stock and form of government, as much Asiatic as European the real or Western Europe, which the Roman Empire gradually added to the narrow Europe of the Greeks, 
and which is strikingly contrasted to Asia in point of size, relief, contour, climate and races, only serve to maintain the distinction between the two continents in men's minds, but from a geographical standpoint the distinction is an error, it has confused the interpretation of the history of the Greeks and the development of the Russians. It has brought disorder into the question of the European or Asiatic origin of the Aryan linguistic family, which the anthropogeographer would assign to the single continent of Eurasia. The independent development that falls to the lot of great world islands like the Americas and Australia is impossible in a peninsular continent like Europe. Large as it is, the independence of a land mass is based not alone on size, there is also an independence of location. This, owing to the spherical form of the Earth tends to be neutralized by the independence based upon large area. The larger a land mass island the nearer it approaches to others. Eurasia, the largest of all the continents, comes into close proximity and therefore close relations with Africa, North America, and even Australia, whereas Australia is at once the smallest and the most isolated of the continents. The remote oceanic islands of the Atlantic Ocean, measuring only a few square miles in area, had a location so independent of other inhabited lands, that before the period of the great discoveries they had never appeared on the horizon of man. Asia's size and central location to the other continents were formerly taken as an argument for its correspondingly significant position in the creation and history of man. Its central location is reflected in the hypothesis of the Asiatic origin of the Indo-European linguistic group of peoples, and though the theory has been justly called into question, these peoples had undoubtedly been subjected to Asiatic influences. The same thing is true of the Native American race, both as to Asiatic origin and influences, because the approximation of Siberia to Alaska is too close to exclude human relations between the two continents. The Malays, too, were probably sprung from the soil of southeastern Asia and spread thence over their close-packed archipelago. Even the Native Australians betray Malayan and therefore Asiatic element in their composition while the same element can be traced yet more distinctly in the widely scattered Polynesians and the Hovas of Madagascar. This radiation of races seems to reflect Asia's location at the core of the land masses, yet the capacity to form such centers of ethnic distribution is not necessarily limited to the largest continents. History teaches us that small areas which have early achieved a relatively dense population are prone to scatter far their seeds of nations. The continents harbor the most widely different races where they are farthest apart, where they converge most nearly. They show the closest ethnic kinships. The same principle becomes apparent in their plants and animals. The distribution of the land masses over the earth is conspicuous for their convergence in the north and divergence in long peninsular forms toward the south. The contrasted grouping is reflected in both. The lower animals and the peoples inhabiting these respectively vicinal and remote lands. Only where North America and Eurasia stretch out arms to one another around the polar sea do eastern and western hemisphere show a community of mammalian forms. These are all strictly arctic animals, such as the reindeer, elk, arctic fox, glutton and ermine. This is the boreal subregion of the holoarctic zoological realm, characterized by a very homogeneous and very limited fauna. In contrast, The portion of the hemispheres lying south of the Tropic of Cancer is divided into four distinct zoological realms, corresponding to Central and South America, Africa south of Sahara, the two Indian peninsulas with the adjacent islands, and Australia. But when we consider the continental extremities projecting beyond the Tropic of Capricorn, where geographic divergence reaches a climax, we find their faunas and floras utterly dissimilar. 
despite the fact that climate and physical conditions are very similar, we find also widely divergent races in the southern sections of Africa, Australia or Tasmania and South America, while Arctic Eurasia and America come as near meeting ethnically as they do geographically. Here and here only both Eastern and Western Hemisphere show a strong affinity of race. The Eskimo, long classed as Mongoloid, are now regarded as an aberrant variety of the American race, owing to their narrow head form and linguistic affinity, though in Alaska even their head form closely approximates the Mongoloid Siberian type. But in stature, color, oblique eyes, broad flat face, and high cheekbones, in his temperament and character, artistic productions and some aspects of his culture. He groups with the Asiatic Hyperboreans across the narrow 60 miles of water forming Bering Strait. In the northern part of the Earth's land area, the distribution of floras, faunas, and races shows interdependence, intercourse, in the southern, separation, isolation. What is true where the hemispheres come together is true also where continents converge. The core of the old world is found in the Mediterranean basin where Europe, Asia and Africa form a close circle of lands and where they are inhabited by the one white Mediterranean race. Contrast their racial unity about this common center with the extremes of ethnic divergence in their remote peripheries, where Tudans, Mongols, Malays and Negroes differ widely from the Mediterranean stock and from each other. Eastern Australia represents the ethnic antipodes of Western Asia, in harmony with the great dividing distance between them but the sides of these continents facing each other across the bridge of the Sunda Islands are sparsely strewn with a common Malay element. Africa's early development was never helped by the fact that the continent lay between Asia and South America. It was subjected to strong and persistent Asiatic influences, but apparently to no Native American ones. From that far-off transatlantic shore came no signs of life. Africa appears in history as an appendage of Asia, a cultural peninsula of the larger continent. This was due not only to the Suez Isthmus and the narrowness of the Red Sea Rift, but to its one-sided invasion by Asiatic races and trade from the east, while the western side of the continent lay buried in sleep, and stirred by any voice from the silent shores of America. Semitic influences, in successive waves, spread over the dark continent as far as Morocco, the Senegal, Niger, Lake Chad, Nyanza, Tanganyika and Nyasa, and gave it such light as it had before the 16th century. Only after the Atlantic Gulf was finally crossed did influences from the American side of the ocean begin to impinge upon the West African coast, first in the form of the slave and rum trade, then in the more humane aspect of the Liberian colony. But with the full development of the Atlantic period in history, we see all kinds of Atlantic influences, though chiefly from the Atlantic states of Europe, penetrating eastward into the heart of Africa and there meeting other commercial and political activities pressing inland from the Indian Ocean, the long Atlantic rift between the eastern and western hemispheres, which was such a potent factor in the primitive retardation of Africa Island from the standpoint of anthropogeography, the most important feature in the distribution of the land masses over the globe. Not till the discovery of America bridged the abyss did the known world become a girdle around the earth except the Norse ventures to the American continent by way of Iceland and Greenland between 1000 and 1347. No account of pre-Columbian intercourse between the two shores of the Atlantic has ever been substantiated. Columbus found the opposite land unfamiliar in race as in culture. He described the people as neither whites nor blacks, the two ethnic types which he knew on the eastern side of the Atlantic abyss. He and his successors found in the Americas only a Stone Age culture a stage already outgrown by Europe and Africa. 
These continents from Lapland to the Hogtot country were using iron. Prior to the voyage of the great Genoese, Europe gave nothing to America and received nothing from it, except the Gulf Stream's scanty cargo of driftwood stranded on bleak Icelandic shores. The tertiary land bridge across the North Atlantic between Norway and Greenland may possibly have guided a pre-Caucasic migration to America and given that continent part of its aboriginal population. However, no trace of any European stock remains. The collapse of the bridge at the close of the glacial epoch left the Atlantic abyss effectually dividing the two hemispheres. Its islands, few and far between, were helpless to maintain intercourse between the opposite shores. This is proven by the fact that all of them from Greenland to Tristan de Acuna, excepting only the Canaries, were uninhabited at the time of their discovery. History records when the first bold voyagers came upon them in that unmarked waste of waters, and gave them their first occupants. The political upheavals of Norway in Kin Harfager's time 872 sent to the Faroes and Iceland their first settlers, though these islands were previously known to the Celts of Ireland. The Norse colonists who went to Greenland in the year 1000 seem to have been the first regular settlers on those inhospitable coasts. They found no native inhabitants, but numerous abandoned dwellings, fragments of boats and stone implements, which doubtless recorded the intermittent voyages thither of the Eskimo. Preliminary to permanent occupation, the Scandinavians did not encounter natives on the island till the 12th century, when Greenland probably received its first Eskimo immigration while the Atlantic thus formed a long north and south rift across the inhabited world at the period of the great discoveries. The Pacific, strewn with islands and land rimmed at its northern extremity by the peninsulas of Alaska and eastern Siberia, spread a nebula of population from the dense centers of Asia across to the outskirts of America. The general Mongoloid character of the American Indians as a race, the stronger Asiatic stamp of the western Eskimo, the unmistakable ethnic and cultural affinities of the Northwest Coast tribes both with Southern Polynesians and Asiatics, all point to America as the great eastern wing of the Mongoloid or Asiatic area, and therefore as the true orient of the world. Geographic conditions have made this possible or even probable. The winds and currents of the North Pacific set from Japan straight toward the American coast. Junks blown out to sea from China or Japan have been carried by the Kuro Siwo and the prevailing westerlies across the Pacific to our continent. There is record of a hundred instances of this occurrence. The broken bridge across Bering Strait formed by East Cape, Cape Prince of Wales and the Diomed Islands between, and further south the natural causeway of the Commander and Aleutian Islands leading from the peninsula of Kamchatka to that of an Alaska, have facilitated intercourse between Asia and America. Justin Windsor says, there is hardly a stronger demonstration of such connection between the two continents than the physical resemblances of the peoples now living on opposite sides of the Pacific Ocean in these upper latitudes. This resemblance is by no means confined to the Eskimo and Chukchis, who have exchanged colonists across Bering Sea. Recent investigations have revealed a wider kinship. The population of northern Siberia speaks in general Ural-Altaic languages but it includes a few scattered tribes whose singular speech excludes them from this linguistic group, and who have therefore been placed by ethnologists in a distinct class called Paleoziatics, or Hyperboreans. This class is composed of the Ostiak and Kod on the Yenisei River, the Gilyak and Anos at the mouth of the Amur and on the Kuril, Sakhalin and Yuzo Islands, the Kemchadl and Koryak of Kemchadka, and the Chukchis and Yukagir of extreme northeastern Siberia, as far back as 1850. The eminent philologist Robert Latham noted a marked linguistic agreement, both in structure and verbal affinity, 
between our northwest coast tribes and the peoples of the islands and peninsulas fringing northeastern Asia. Koryak is notably American, he said. The recent Chesapeake expedition to the northwest coast of America and the nearby coast of Asia investigated the Koryak to determine whether in the past there had been any connection between the cultures and ethnic types of the Old and New World. These investigations have proved beyond doubt a kinship of culture, attributable either to a remote common origin or to former contact, long and close, between these isolated Siberian tribes and the American Aborigines. They show that the Koryak are one of the Asiatic tribes standing nearest to the northwestern American Indian. See map page 103. W. H. Dow finds the inhabitants of the Pacific Slope of North America conspicuously allied with Oceanica in cultural achievements, whose origin he therefore assigns to that vast congeries of islands stretching from Asia toward South America in latitude 25 degrees south. These islands, closely clustered as far as the Pomoda group, straggle along with widening spaces between, through Easter Isle, which carries the indestructible memorials of a strange civilization, through Salawai Gomez, San Felix, and St. Ambrose almost to the threshold of the Peruvian coast. It is to be noted that these islands lie just outside the westward-bearing equatorial current and trade winds, on the margin of the South Pacific anticyclonic winds and a southern current which sets towards the Peruvian coast. A more probable avenue for the introduction of these Polynesian or Malayan elements of culture is found in O.T. Mason's theory, that primitive mariners of the southwestern Pacific, led into migration by the eternal food quest, may have skirted the seaboard of East Asia and Northwest America, passing along a great circle route through the succession of marginal seas and archipelagos to various ports of entry on the Pacific front of America. Such a route, favored by the prevailing marine currents and winds from the southwest, and used repeatedly during long periods of time, might have introduced trans-Pacific elements of race and culture into the western side of America. Moreover, Primitive America resembled Oceanic and Northern Asia in its ignorance of iron, in its Stone Age civilization, and its retarded social and political development. Such affinities as it shows were predominantly Pacific or Trans-Pacific. On its Atlantic side, it stood out in striking contrast to the contemporaneous civilizations and races in Europe and Africa. This was its unneighbored shore, lying on the eastern margin of that broad zone of habitation which stretched hence westward on and on around the world to the outermost capes of Europe and Africa. The Atlantic abyss formed the single gap in this encircling belt of population, to which Columbus at last affixed the clasp. The Atlantic face of the Americas formed therefore the drowsy unstirred orient of the inhabited world, which westward developed growing activity dreaming a civilization in Mexico and Peru, roused to artistic and maritime achievement in Oceanic and the Malay archipelago, to permanent state-making and real cultural development in Asia and attaining the highest civilization at last in Western Europe. There was the sunset margin of the inhabited world, the area of achievement, the adult Occident, facing across the dividing ocean that infant orient beyond. Here the old world, the full-grown world, had accumulated in Columbus time the matured forces of a hemisphere, it was searching for some outlet across the shoreless distances of the Atlantic, waiting for some call from its voiceless beyond. The steep, and bridged chasm of the Atlantic, closed only 400 years ago, must be taken into account in all investigations of the geographical distribution of races, whether in prehistoric or historic times. The influences of those ages when it formed an impassable gulf are still operative in directing the movements of the peoples today inhabiting its shores.
because that barrier maintained the continents of America as a vast territorial reserve, sparsely inhabited by a Stone Age people, and affording a fresh field for the superior, accumulated energies of Europe. Australia and the double continent of America show each the coincidence of an ethnic realm with an isolated continent. In contrast, when we come to the old world triad of Europe, Asia and Africa, we find three races, to be sure, but races whose geographical distribution ignores the boundaries of the continents. The white race belongs to all three, and from time immemorial has made the central basin of the Mediterranean the white man's sea. The Mongolian, though primarily at home in Asia, stretches along the coast of the Arctic Ocean to the Atlantic shores of Norway, and in historical times has penetrated up the Danube to the foot of the Alps, nor was the Negroid stock confined to Africa, though Africa has always been its geographical core, the Indian Peninsula and Malay Archipelago, once peopled by a primitive Negroid race, but now harboring only remnants of them in the Deccan, Malacca, the Philippines and elsewhere bridge the distance to the other great Negroid center in Melanesia and the derivative or secondary Negroid area of Australia. The Negroid race belongs essentially to the long southern land pendants of the eastern hemisphere, and wherever it has bordered on the lighter northern stocks, it has drawn a typical boundary zone of mingled tints which never diverges far from the equator, from the Atlantic shores of the Sudan to Pacific Fiji. See map page 105. The effort of the old ethnology as represented by Blumenbach, to make a five-fold division of the races in agreement with the five continents was a mistake. To distinguish between the continents is one thing and to distinguish between the races is another. Neither biogeography nor anthropogeography can adopt the continents as geographical provinces. Although floras, faunas and races the world over give evidence of partial or temporary restriction to a certain continent, once they have overflowed to other lands, a ground plan for the geographical classification of races is to be found, Esler says, in the fact that they are not found scattered indiscriminately over the Earth's surface, but that certain races belong to certain regions, in whose peculiar environment they have developed their type, and once they have spread to other lands, undergoing modifications from race intermixture and successive changes of environment on the way. From this general law of race movements it follows that certain groups of land masses, favored by location and large area, play a great imperial role, holding other lands as a